welcome everybody once again to a safe place podcast and it's an absolute pleasure to be joined by a special guest that we've got here today which is tim box who did a ted talk that i witnessed around about a month ago and i was completely blown away by the level of knowledge and knowing how much that knowledge could support people suffering with anxiety so here we are welcome tim thank you pleasure to be here yeah so talk to us tim uh talk to us about now one of the most important things about this podcast is trying to help people alleviate some of the suffering that they're going through yeah, yeah. So we'll throw it straight in there. Okay. So regarding <laughs> anxiety, just, just give you everything just I go, know. Yeah, just everything go you've it, got. Yeah. For the- okay. Um, I suppose starting at the beginning would be a good place. Um, my own personal experience of social anxiety. It was, I think, it didn't really kick in until my late teens, around sort of GCSEs, A level times, and then went on into university times. I went through. I mean, I would I say bullying, right? And that's a that's a big term throughout there. It wasn't bullying like. I, you hear about like uh, but it was bullying enough to give me anxiety about interaction yeah. with other people and certainly in social sets um and I went through a bit of that but that didn't that didn't bring me into this field of working I should say but it, I think it gave me a certain perspective um a certain understanding and I, and I talk about in the TED talk about my journey in terms of what I felt I did and and the things that shifted in my understanding to help me come the other side of it yeah. but I guess I guess it's the starting point because it's it's why I feel I can talk about anxiety with some degree of, uh, not authority, but I can relate to it, if you know what I mean. I understand. And again, I, I will see people who are suffering far greater levels of anxiety for different types of reasons than I went through. But I think it's it's a lot of them. When we suffer anxiety, we have to do this thing of getting it getting people to realize it's real you know it's you get that that sort of type of person that says oh you just need to pull yourself together you're just being a bit of a snowflake about yeah. things and i think if we can talk to somebody where that isn't an issue okay we understand it's real let's work from that standpoint because a lot of the time when i put the message out there i could easily be confused as someone saying you can change this is easy to change yeah. and whilst i think it is simple to change a lot simpler than we get told i don't necessarily think that's going to be easy yeah, because if it were easy, we'd already done it by now, you know. Yeah. But it is what I would regard as a simple process of advancing our understanding of what's going on with our emotional responses. Yes, yeah, and yeah. it's absolute key to understand it. The more you understand it, the more it gives you that space to, uh, I wouldn't say heal from it, because as you rightly say in the TED Talk, it's a natural human emotion to feel anxiety, isn't it? I think we all go through that phase at some point where we're concerned about something, maybe to a greater degree than we have been in the past. So a classic example at the moment, pandemic at the moment, a lot of people are very, very anxious and they've never felt anxiety like this before. I, I get a lot of people messaging me saying, I don't understand, I've never been anxious before and now I suddenly am, what's going on? And it's like, well, yeah, it's a freaking pandemic. You've yeah. probably you've never been, you never faced this before. Yeah. So there's a bit of your mind saying, "How on earth do we deal with this? Yeah. What's happened? What's going to happen in the future?" I thought I understood the way the world worked, yeah. and now it throws something at me that I can't understand, or I haven't got the strategies on board emotionally to deal with. Yeah. And we're all going to go through that at some point. That thing where that challenge comes in mm-hmm. that seems to be in excess of the resources we have available yeah. to us. Yeah, and that's why I think we need to understand that when we feel excessively anxious, that's okay. Mm-hmm. It's not, oh no, I'm broken. Something snapped in me. There's some sort of genetic flaw. It's like, okay, I'm facing something that's got me really, really concerned. What am I going to do about that concern? Yeah, is there things I can take action on? Or is there nothing I can do about it? So none of the concern is going to benefit me in any way. Yeah. yeah. And we talk about this in the TED Talk again. Anxiety at its core, it's an emotion. Yeah, if we, if we take away the categorization of illness 
or disorder and say, right, at its core level, anxiety is an emotion. We're meant to feel anxious because at some point something's going to come up, come up and our mind's going to say, that's important. That's important enough for us to put our conscious focus on at this time. And if it's something that isn't changing, we might remain with our focus on it and feel anxious for a lengthy period of time. But then the problem is we get diagnosed with an anxiety disorder and now that's the thing we're anxious about is how anxious we feel. We wake up in the morning, how anxious do I feel today? I used to do that all the time. I used to wake up in the morning and think, am I anxious today? And that's an anxious thing to do, to check how anxious you are, yeah? yeah? So, of course, you find anxiety. Then finding the anxiety makes you anxious. And so it amplifies it and it becomes this feedback loop. As long as we say anxiety is wrong anxiety is the wrong thing to feel or means there's something wrong with you it will always become a feedback loop and it will amplify itself because it will be an indicator of illness rather than an indicator of something that i need to put my focus on absolutely matt and it, it makes perfect sense i mean just to when i've experienced anxiety in my life to hear such a a refreshing and at the same time common sense understanding that hold on a minute this emotion that i've been trying to push away and not feel mm. is perfectly normal and, yeah. and in a sense, safe. Yeah, that, that was my favourite part of the TEDx, actually, which I was going to bring up, is when you said that anxiety is an emotion, and if you didn't have anxiety, then it would become a disorder. It would become yeah. worse. Yeah, well, you yeah. Know, not accepting that you have this natural emotion that you need Yeah, almost 99% of the time, really, don't you? That's it. Every yeah. single human being, if their brain is functioning, they're going to feel anxious every day. Because we, we have this thing, you know, our, our conscious awareness. So at the moment, we're all focusing on what we're doing here. Yeah. Yeah. But then later on, I'll be focusing on driving and then I'll be focusing on spending time with my wife. You know, we all put our focus in places. All anxiety is there for is to steer our focus where it needs to go so we don't forget the important stuff. Yeah. yeah. And that's why we don't necessarily, if we, if we didn't feel it then that would be weird. You know, I mentioned in the talk, it's like dead people and psychopaths. They're the two groups of people that don't feel any anxiety. Yeah. yeah? Let's, let's not rush to be a part of either of those two groups. Yeah. No. Let's, let's say if I'm anxious, it means I care about something. I'm alive and I care. And you're healthy. In a sense, yeah. And that's yeah. a good starting point. Really. It is, yeah. yeah. You know, the uh, early stages then, because a lot of people don't know anything about emotions. We don't mm. uh, have a, a real good understanding. We don't learn a lot about it through no. education. So in the early stages, what helped you? What did you did you learn about what anxiety was? That's such a good question because I personally, whilst I don't work with children because that's not my specialist area, I think we should get some emotional education in, at school time. Absolutely, you know, we, we get taught a lot of things at school that we never use again. Yeah. yeah, what? How about we got taught how to manage our emotional responses, how to understand them? You know, yeah. and look, I think I'm a very logical thinker. Okay, I'm, I'm quite. I'm, you could argue, I mean, of course, someone with anxiety previously, I'm an overthinker, I guess. Yeah. I do a lot of, you know, thought rather than action, if you were to okay. ask my wife. Yeah. <laughs> she, she takes action, I think about things. Yeah. We're talking about washing up here. Yeah, maybe, yeah. <laughs> things like that. I was thinking about doing it, yeah. Um, but, but I think, but that helped me out. So when I went to university, I studied philosophy. And the thing that philosophy does, uh, a lot of people think I studied psychology, but I found philosophy more interesting because it, it teaches you what you might call critical thinking which is not to assume anything, okay, and to break things down to, if you can, their simplest forms. And understanding and learning that way of thinking, I think it helped me in my approach later on when I turned to therapy. And don't think I, I left school and became a therapist because I don't think many people do. That's not your... Ah. Ge- Most of the time, it's like your second or third career option in terms of you've done other things and now you've life has brought you here. Um, but at that time, because I learned that particular discipline and I, I'm well aware, I apply that sort of thinking 
moving forward in my life. So I'm thinking, okay, why do I feel this way? Let's assume that the reason I feel anxious is not because I have this illness called anxiety, but let's assume that it's for some other reason than that. There's something that I'm anxious about. And then if we start to break that down, I can then look at it and say, right, do I think I'm right to feel this anxious about this thing? Yeah. Now, a lot of the time, people that are dealing with high anxiety, they'll say, I don't know why I'm anxious, or it doesn't make sense that I'm this anxious, or I know what I'm thinking isn't true, my mind's lying to me, or something like that. And that's, again, a mistake to think just because you recognize the level of anxiety you feel is inappropriate, the mistake there is to assume, well, there's something wrong with me then. Yeah. Or there's something malevolent. Trying to work with the client and and separate irrational thoughts with reality-based practical thoughts kind of kind of the thing is none of your thoughts are invalid are they because no. it's always for a reason you know, people say oh it's irrational yeah like the, irrational means without reason yeah. so there is no irrational because there's always a reason yes there's always a reason why part of your mind is giving you this particular thought so a classic one is to hear that voice telling you you're no good you shouldn't be here you're you're you can't handle this or something and it, and we think oh is that part does it hate me? Is it trying to stop me from being happy? Yeah. When really it's just trying to keep you safe. It's trying to stop you going into a situation that you feel you can't handle. Which leads nicely onto that part of the TED Talk where you talk about the, the crew and the captain. Yeah, yeah. So okay. that's a lot of people. This is like the analogy that I use for all of my therapeutic interactions. Yeah. If we break it down to the idea that your, your mind, think of your mind like a ship. Every ship has a captain and a crew. In this analogy, the captain is your logical, conscious bit of you. So the bit that knows where you're going, why you're going there, has a little bit of an idea of how you're going to get there. You know, it's what we would call the the logical, rational bit of you. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, the part of your ship that has its hands and all the things that steer and sail your ship, that's always going to be the crew. And that's your subconscious. And you've got loads of crew members in there all doing these jobs that they probably started doing before you really had a captain on board, before you had the logical adult version of you, it was just the the child, the young learning part of you saying, how do we keep this ship afloat? So they've got all sorts of protocols in place that hopefully steer us safely, but of course aren't really intended to get us anywhere except in some way towards happiness. So what you've got basically, when you're feeling at high levels of anxiety, you've got a crew member that is demanding the captain's attention for a reason that might not even apply anymore because it applied to the kid. Mm. Yeah. So when I was about five years old, the local shopping centre, I got lost. I couldn't find. I knew my mum was in Sainsbury's, but I wandered off, couldn't find Sainsbury's, and I cried. My mind came up with the strategy of I can't handle this. I don't know where I am. I burst into tears. A strategy that many of us will learn. Hopefully, most of us will learn as a child. If I cry, somebody will bring me extra resources and sort the problem out for yeah. me. And. Sure enough, a kindly old lady came over, said, oh, why are you crying? Well, this is how I remember it, obviously. It's, it's got something out of a Disney film, as I recall. But, and, she, and I was like, I've lost my mum. Where's your mum? Sainsbury's. Okay, let's go to Sainsbury's. She took me to Sainsbury's. I found my mum. Could you do the voice again? For yeah, me? maybe not. That's, that's a one-off. <laughs> I'm, I'm regretting doing it already. Um, and the point being that that was appropriate, okay? That was, I can't feed, clothe, and house myself as a five-year-old. Mm. So doing some sort of strategy that will get me assistance in that is appropriate. Yeah. Now, 47 years old, if I got lost in the local shopping mall and I burst into tears now I don't think I'd get the same reaction no, people yeah. walk away from they might look at me oddly yeah. Yeah, as that grown man crying in the corner by yeah. the, but mm. point being I don't need that strategy anymore because there's a bit of me that knows 
I'm autonomous now. I know how to feed myself, clothe myself, house myself. I don't need my mum to do all that for me. But if I still had a crew member in there thinking, I don't like being on my own in a shopping mall based on what I learned at that time, yeah. then I might feel some level of anxiety. And there might be a bit of me saying, this is really inappropriate. Why am I feeling so anxious about this situation? And all it is, is a little guy in there saying, I'm not sure this is safe. Can you help me out? And of course, what we do then is we're like, no, to go away. I don't want to hear from you. I don't want to feel anxious. And we push it away. Yes. Someone's trying to deliver an important message. They know you're there and you're pushing them away. They might just shout louder because you're not listening and you need to hear this. Yeah. It gets worse, doesn't it? Exactly. So I think, I think a lot of the time, if we can relate to our crew and we can also, also I'll get clients come to me and say, I don't know why I feel this way. It's completely wrong. And then we investigate it for like a minute and a half and they tell me why they feel this way. Well, of course, when I was young, this thing happened. It's like, okay, so you can actually understand that crew member and why he's giving you this feeling. Yeah. All you've got to do is convey that message. And you're building, in a sense, a relationship with a part of themselves that they've been trying to reject and push away. Exactly, yeah. A lot of people have said it's like parts therapy, which I haven't studied. Um, I know if you want to study parts therapy, I think Roy Hunter is the guy now to go to go and study with. But it is like, it's like crew therapy, if you like. I, I do relate to different parts yeah. because, for me, that makes sense. Again, you talk about common sense approach. I know... Whenever I've got a dilemma, there's a bit of me wants to do this, but there's a bit of me telling me I should do this. You know, we know that yeah. feeling of having different parts of us with different motivations. And it's important in a sense that emotional change. Yeah. Imagine you've got this this crew that you wasn't really conscious of before that was making your body feel very uncomfortable in a way that was making your life feel uh, a sense of suffering. Yeah, yeah. So change that perception of what that crew's doing and for you to know that they've always been actually trying to protect you yeah, and yeah. keep you safe and, as you said, lead you to some sort of happiness or well-being. Exactly. It changes that emotion. Yeah. And yeah. instead of you now fearing it, yeah. you can almost accept it and, if you can at some point, embrace that feeling. Yeah, absolutely, because this is a part that's trying to help you. It's your friend, it's not your enemy. Oh. You know, I'll hear this. When I start to introduce the captain of the crew analogy, the number of times I'll get clients say to me, can we throw that guy overboard? Yeah. It's like, well, no, sorry, you can't. That's, yeah. that's the bit of your mind. You're always going to have that bit of your mind. What would be a better option, maybe, is to get it on board with where we're going and why yeah. we don't have to fear going there, yeah. you know, that kind of thing. I respect that part of you. And um, yeah. why, why do you think, Tim, that the... We don't know how to do this naturally. Is it just the way that we're brought up? And in the past, we've had emotions and we've been probably told not to feel these emotions. Yeah, you know? I think that's that might be a bit of the problem. Certainly as guys, I think we get told not to feel, don't we? And, and it's almost like it's it's an embarrassment to have strong feelings. And, and I think to varying degrees, some people go through it more than others. But, you know, so the people that I see in my in my clinic it's about 70 percent female maybe even more than that i think it's yeah. only about 20 25 males that i see yeah. i look at my stats on youtube people that are watching my videos it's about 80 percent male mm. yeah so it's like my, men are aware they're not fully understanding what's going on with them and they need help yeah but it's only really women that feel comfortable enough to reach out because us guys got that macho image and yeah yeah it's like that that sort of toxic masculinity that we talk about where it's not okay to feel but there's also as well i think it's a bit that but i think there is one other side of it that doesn't get talked about as much and that's that you know and i'm not trying to sound sexist here but guys think differently to girls yeah we know that so like if if my wife says she's got an issue with something my natural thing is right how do we solve it what do we do what action do we take yeah Yeah. whereas really she just wants a bloody hug you know she wants to be heard and comforted listen to and that's the thing. So I think when we put our mental health message out there, it's okay to reach out. Other people are suffering too. 
for a female, that's like, oh, great, I can receive some comfort about what's going going on. A male is like, oh, so if I, if I declare the difficulties I'm having, I can become part of that big group of people that have difficulties. If there's no solution offered, we don't tend to reach out. No. Yeah, I mean, as, as embarrassing as it might be to go to the doctor to talk about something private, we will do it if it means we're going to get a solution to the issue. And it's a bit like that. I think if we had the message out there that it isn't just declare your mental health difficulties and join the group of people who can talk to you about how bad it is, if it was declare your mental health difficulties and then we can steer you towards the solution to that difficulty, more men would engage in the process of finding the solution. So getting the information out there, Tim, is a crucial first step yeah. in, in to be able to try and embrace everybody suffering with. Absolutely. Well, no I matter think, what gender they I think you from. acknowledge to yourself, don't you? Uh, the first port of call is by telling somebody else, you've actually told yourself, right, yeah. I've, yeah. I've you know, loved myself enough to tell, right, you know, if it's your best friend or going to the doctor, you've, you've made the first step to start something. Um, you brought the doctor up then. Mm. Uh, you said something in your TEDx talk, which, and you said it very well, about how doctors aren't really trained to help with mental health. Yeah, I nearly didn't put this in the talk because when I talk about this, I feel like I'm, I'm sort of, uh, you know, complaining about doctors or I'm giving them a bad rap. It's and an eggshelly topic, isn't it? It is a bit. And, and I don't mean to, but it was only the other people in the, in the organization, the TEDx people at Folks and said, you've got to put that bit in when we spoke about it in, in discussion. And here's the thing. I, I, I actually feel a tremendous amount of sympathy for doctors because we will go to see them for anxiety and for depression because we've been told it's an illness. So yeah. we're ill. We go to the doctor. Now, the doctors, I think I mentioned that there's three limits to their to their resources here, yeah? They have a limit in understanding because they're not mental health professionals. You know, if you want to see a doctor who is a mental health professional, they will, that will be a psychiatrist, yeah? And they'll have trained for five or six years more than your average GP in that specialist area, okay? Yeah. Second, they have limits to their resources that they can give you uh, in terms of they've, they've got medication, They've got a waiting list for some CBT or counselling, you know, and you know this as well as anyone, the waiting list to get some mental health assistance in this country is, it's something like three or four months. Yeah, yeah. and escalating, isn't it? Well, that's it. And when you think about it, if you've come to the doctor to deal with anxiety, you're probably at the stage where you need help now. Yeah, yeah. The, the stage where you could wait three or four months was ages ago, Yeah, yeah. when you weren't make, reaching out to go to the doctor. So I think, you know, uh, that's another thing. And also the third thing the doctor's got like, I believe somewhere between nine and 11 minutes to talk to you for a doctor's appointment yeah. with your GP. They don't have enough time to understand your journey with anxiety or depression to the point where they can accurately uh, either diagnose or prescribe what course of action should be taken. So we go, I'm not saying don't go to the doctor for, yeah. for a mental health, because obviously I know there's people who are on the planet right now who wouldn't still be on the planet if they hadn't been given the right intervention, i.e. meds at yeah. the right time. Yeah? yeah. And sometimes as well, just being able to take a prescription away from that appointment and say, right, I can get some tablets for this yeah. is the kind of hope you need yeah. to take you out of the place of despair. Yeah. But I don't think we should necessarily feel like we're a slave to the doctor's diagnosis. Because yeah. a doctor will say, right, let me rule out all the medical stuff. Yeah. So you, you go to you know, the doctor with, with a pain. He'll say, oh, it sounds like that. Let's do some tests and let's confirm it is that. Okay, here are the tests back. It is that. Let's treat you for it. Yeah. You go to the doctor with anxiety. He'll say, right, let's do some tests to rule out any physical things that are wrong with you. And then it's a diagnosis by elimination. Yeah. It must be anxiety. And it's not like there's an anxiety test I can do. 
to diagnose you with an anxiety issue. No. It's not like there's a clinical depression test I can do. All we can do is monitor the way you've been feeling for a certain amount of time. But then, of course, you come away with this diagnosis. Doctor said, I've got generalized anxiety disorder. Oh, no. And then it becomes part of you then, doesn't it? It, it becomes, becomes your label, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, you're, you're now wearing it as part of you. And also, it's now the thing you're most anxious about. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. The thing, when people say, I don't know what I'm anxious about from day to day, it's because they're anxious about their anxiety. And, and that's one of the most, uh, that's the, the trickiest part of anxiety is making people conscious that beforehand when there was some sort of external stimulus that ignited the anxiety and, and rightfully so that crew team yeah. are there warning the captain that yeah. something could be cause harm in a sense. Yeah, yeah. Now yeah. that awful state of anxiety that they're feeling, they yeah. now fear that feeling. Exactly, exactly. There's this thing where, so if we go back to the captain and the crew analogy, you, a crew member kicks off about something. And it's not changing. It's normally something that can't easily get shifted. So relationship, work, something, you know, medical stuff, that kind of thing. And so this crew member's just left shouting and seemingly getting ignored. And it shouts louder and louder. Then we start to feel anxious about the everyday stuff because for any of your other crew members to get heard about, you know, taking the bins out, paying that bill, they have to shout a lot louder to get heard over this part that's shouting all the time. Then... The thing that really happens is you get a crew member saying, why is everyone shouting in here? Yeah. Why are we so anxious all the time? And that becomes the loudest part of your, your reasoning and your, and your processing then is I'm now anxious about how anxious I've become. Yeah. And, and it just ends up like chaos in there. Which is a good thing to know in a sense for somebody suffering with anxiety. I'm feeling anxious about the feeling yeah. of anxiety. Yeah, yeah. Now I can put my finger on what's going on, exactly. which is a good place, a good understanding Absolutely. to have, isn't it? I, I think so. I think when we can feel okay about feeling anxious, you know, it's not, it's not a difficult thing to do to reduce the anxiety. I, I say not difficult, that sounds terribly dismissive, doesn't it? But I mean, when I work with people, we generally get those voices calmed down to a whisper, which is kind of where it should be. Yeah. Crew members nudging you at the volume loud enough for you to hear what needs to get your attention. Yeah. Yeah? But then, of course, what happens is a couple of weeks down the line, they've got a meeting at work or they're seeing somebody like an old, uh, an ex or something, and something's triggering anxiety. And, and so they wake up in the morning, I feel a bit anxious today. Now, unless we've managed to get them to understand it doesn't mean you're ill to feel anxious, yeah. then that's going to spark up anxiety again. Yeah. Oh no, my illness is, the treatment's wearing off. It's not, it's just you've got something big today yeah. that yeah. rightly so, your mind is getting you to focus on. You know, so, uh, on. Sorry, just one trick that I learned with anxiety. I do a lot of introspection on feelings and emotions that I have, and... I've noticed that anxiety is very similar to the feeling of excitement. Yeah. And I often, when I get anxious, I, I say to myself that I'm actually excited about what's about to happen. And it yeah. seems to lose the, the negative side of it. Got, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. yeah. they yeah. feel physically the same, don't they? Fear, fear yeah. and it's, excitement. It's an energy, the, isn't it? It's yeah, an energy yeah, that it's, you're experiencing in, in that now, isn't it? I'll tell you a story. I, I do a lot of public speaking now, you yeah. know, which you might think is weird considering my background of social anxiety. But yeah. once I started to do it and get used to it and feel comfortable with it, I really love I love public speaking. And um, I was at an event with a friend of mine and he hates public speaking, but he has to do it a fair amount. He's better at it now, but yeah. at the time he was, you know, proper sweating and shaking and all yeah. that sort of thing. And we're sitting there. We've got 300 people at this event we're talking at. And I'm sitting there and he looks at me and he says, look at you, you're loving this, aren't you? And I, I said to him, I said to him, like, Andy, I think we feel exactly the same way, mm. except you're framing it as fear and I'm framing it as excitement, you yeah. know, because and, and I honestly believe yeah. that's that's how it goes. It's like, you know, we, we might I feel terrified when I go to Disney and have to go on Tower of Terror. 
because Brit, my other half, she loves Tower of Terror. Yeah. And so I end up having to go on it, yeah. And I fucking hate it. And it's, it's really one of those things that's like, I could happily never again go on yeah. this ride yeah. because it pulls you down to the ground faster than gravity would. I just, yeah. I've looked it yeah. up. It actually is, yeah. So I'm perfectly rides. legit for being terrified of this ride. Yeah. Um, but there's a, but I know I'm going to be alive at the end of it, yeah. Mm. So I know that the fear I'm feeling yeah. isn't going to spark like a panic attack or isn't going to make me feel like, why was I so anxious that day? Yeah, I know why I was like, I'll get on Tower of Terror. Yeah. It scares the shit out of me, yeah. So that's yeah. okay to feel that way. And I'm, I'm framing it as, a roller coaster we frame as an excited fear. Yeah. A horror film, it's an excited fear. It is, yeah. And yeah. there's no real fears or anxieties that are ever actually going to kill you. Exactly. That, you yeah. know, you don't die from it, but you just feel like you will. So in order exactly. to... Yeah. We're yeah. getting close to wrapping up this podcast now. Yeah. So just for the listeners, somebody that is suffering with that experience of anxiety at this moment in time, and they're looking for the most plausible logical action to take yeah and i know it's a recipe in, in terms of there's a number of different things you can do what yeah. and to categorize it as one most important if we could do that what would be the most important oh, thing for the them to one do thing so you mean the magic words now that are going to fix everyone's anxiety yeah is that, that too much to ask mm, no, I don't, <laughs> <laughs> while i'm here i don't want to give you the secret though because then no, I, I honestly i think except yeah the way you're feeling yeah. Th- that incorporates a whole load of things by the way Exce- accepting that it's okay to feel anxious Does, yeah. accepting that what your mind is telling you might be wrong yeah but it's not dicking with you it's ah. it's just telling you what it thinks is right yeah and if you recognize it's wrong don't have a go at that part of you yeah nurture it yeah. you know be the captain of your ship and yeah. say look i know why you think this is a horrendous you know life-threatening incident right yeah. now but I know it isn't, so you don't have to worry. You know, it, it's you've got to interact with yourself with positivity. I've got yeah, that's yeah, fantastic, that's... yeah. And it's better than my question. My question was, who is your cabaret singer on your on your ship? Oh, my, my cabaret singer, blimey, that is a good question actually. <laughs> but I, I wish you'd prepped me for it. I've I got would... Tina Turner. I have. Back in the old days, it would have been Morrissey because that was what we used Morrissey, to do. We yeah, used to break up with our girlfriend and sit in our room in the dark <laughs> listening to Morrissey. That's but a good maybe... one. <laughs> so. Tim, it's been an absolute pleasure, mate. Thank, Thank you very you. much. Really enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah. brilliant. Thank Lovely. you. Thank you very much.